2: folks welcome to pickaxe and roll part of the mile high sports podcast family i'm your host ryan blackburn at nba blackburn on twitter uh part of the denver stiffs the site manager over there make sure to check out all of our writing all of our stuff uh as i mentioned in previous episodes continuing to do the season in review content obviously last podcast uh was a season in review for the forward rotation for the nuggets i've Rather than going into the individual players, I've decided to kind of group those together a little bit and be able to talk about the position group as a as a unit. And, and I do think that those have been helpful in terms of kind of structuring the content a little bit more. But for this one, this was kind of an impromptu podcast. I didn't know that this was going to be happening. And as I mentioned to you guys before, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that's when I normally record. But I'm recording now on Monday evening for a Tuesday podcast. And the reason I am doing so is because we got a very special announcement from one Adrian Wojnarowski early in the morning on Monday as Nikola Jokic is going to be a back-to-back MVP. Uh, Woj obviously heard this. He was fed this information by somebody and has since released it, of course, early Monday morning. There was a lot of discussion this past weekend about Joel Embiid potentially receiving the MVP. There were some fake tweets that obviously went out over the weekend that had a lot of people up in arms, but wasn't ever really a bit to do. But now we get our answer. And it looked like this from the beginning, right? Like all the votes that were publicly cast, it definitely seemed like Jokic was in line for winning his second straight and I'm going to be honest, I'm pretty happy. Like I, I, I woke up this morning and saw the news, and, and the first thought that I had was, okay, sigh of relief. We don't necessarily have to have a riot or anything, some sort of feud with uh, the the media that decided to vote on this thing and then change their, their opinions privately. But what I will say is that I am of the mind that any of the three, of Giannis, Embiid, or Jokic could have won the MVP. I think, and I think a lot of MVP member or MVP voters came to this opinion, that Jokic was the most deserving, partially based on circumstance, but also partially just because he was better. He was just the better regular season player than either Giannis or Embiid this year and, and helped do more to elevate his team – to a place that they probably should not have been based off of the players that they lost. Like I think of back to the OKC Thunder and KD and Russell Westbrook and how they were just injury riddled after James Harden left, after he departed via trade. You had, M- or, uh, you had uh, Russell Westbrook's knee injury, and then in that subsequent year, KD goes and wins MVP. You have KD's foot injury, and Russ goes on to have a big season. But neither of those guys really were able to carry the weight by themselves. They were in positions where they were debilitated in some ways by the injury bugs to their co-stars. Now, I don't think Jamal Murray is at either of those guys' level, but is Jamal Murray plus Michael Porter Jr. at that level? Like, Maybe. I don't know. I, I can't really have an answer for that. But Jokic getting this team to 48 wins was always going to be a challenge and he did it and he was able to accomplish that with the help of teammates and they deserve this this credit too this is a it's an individual award but if the team doesn't deliver enough on that front then it's then Denver's a 7 seed and Jokic doesn't get the votes or he's a a 6 seed but it looks worse and Denver doesn't get the votes, Uh, Jokic doesn't get the votes, but everybody deserves credit for this. Obviously, Jokic deserves the most amount of credit. He could have folded in the face of adversity here where Denver had a lot of opportunity to kind of fold as a team. And and we talked about this with their playoff push and how they responded to going down three out of the Warriors, but even throughout the regular season there was a thought in maybe Denver should shut down Jokic. Maybe Denver should prevent him from having a massive injury if it looks like Murray isn't coming back or Porter isn't coming back or anything like that. And maybe they should prevent Jokic from using up all of this mileage while those guys are out. And I gave some thought to it. I gave some some serious credence to that idea that maybe if this isn't Denver's best shot, then Denver should play it a little bit more cautiously. But Jokic pressed on, and Denver pressed on, and they were able to get to a position that nobody really thought that they could. And and that is ultimately why he won it. He carried a massively flawed team to a playoff spot and then got eliminated. But I'm sorry. I, I just don't think that the Warriors are a worse team or even a comparable team, really, to the Bulls or the Raptors. I think the Heat, they're kind of a comparable team, too. Um, but I do think that the Warriors are a better team than the Heat as well. And if you're telling me that the Sixers or the Bucks, without let's let's just say James Harden and Tyrese Maxey for the Sixers, and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday for the Bucks, if either of those teams in those positions could have beaten the Warriors, then more power to. Uh, Giannis, more power to Embiid, more power to those guys for being able to do, what Nikola Jokic could not do in the playoffs. I don't think that they could have. I don't think that that was a thing that would have been that would have been able to happen for those guys. And so this entire narrative that has started about oh Jokic, uh, he he should like he should be shamed, and Nuggets fans should be ashamed that their team and their MVP lost in the first round. Our guy could never. I just don't see it that way, and I don't think anybody with a serious brain on their shoulders that isn't biased would say the same thing. Denver, they were injury struck. This was an unfair situation to everybody involved, and Jokic obviously made the best of it and and was the best player in the world during the regular season. That's pretty clear. He has some deficiencies that I think show up in the playoffs a little bit more and were exacerbated, of course, by a perimeter attack from the Warriors. Would he have beaten the Jazz? Probably. Would he have beaten the T-Wolves? I honestly think so. I think that they could have done that too. Uh, The Grizzlies? Probably not. Uh, Then there's other situations that we could go into, but I don't feel like going into now. Look, Embiid is fantastic. He was a top three player this year. He might be in the conference finals if Philly can pull off the upset. If they do that, it'll be extremely impressive given the injuries that he's currently facing and playing through that Philly has had to deal with. If they don't get through, then I will laugh at the Sixers for not being able to beat the Heat because I don't think that they're a better team than the Warriors. And so, in all honesty, Denver's kind of in the same position there. They just happened to face the better team earlier because of the records. Milwaukee, though, they just lost to Boston, and it's possible that they go out in the second round, too, to a better team. And it's convenient, of course, that Chris Middleton is out, and there is definitely some possibility that Giannis is eliminated in the second round. And then you're going to have all three of the top MVP candidates out, and better teams, uh, emphasis on team, emphasis on healthy teams, progressing. And so we're going to see we're going to see how this evolves but I will definitely laugh because I just think it's it's been such a weird dynamic for so many people and there's a lot of bias obviously that comes into it from all sides and all fandoms but it's just been a toxic conversation and I think the Sixers fans are are really upset that their guy has finished second in back-to-back years and when they don't think that the gap is that large and and I don't think the gap is that large to be honest like I I I did a center tier rankings over the weekend, and I have both Jokic and Embiid in tier one. They're both superstars, they're both really good. Do I think the one is better than the other? Yes. Is it that massive of a difference? No. That's not a crazy thing. Most national folks though, they aren't giving credence to that line of thinking with with oh man, Jokic was was undeserving. Like most people, they give credit where credit is due, and the ones that don't are generally just the ones that you want to avoid their takes anyway. A lot of them come from a a bad, distasteful place where they are trying to drum up narratives, they're trying to drum up controversy, things like that. Uh, You know where to go. You know where to find the intelligent folks that they kind of remove the bias from their agendas uh, they have their own opinions, but obviously those opinions are, are shaped by objective facts if they can ever find it in a, a very subjective game of basketball. You've got Zach Lowe, Chris Herring, Nikias Duncan, Ben Golliver, Danny LaRue, Kevin O'Connor. The list goes on and on. Like There's just so many people that you could be listening to that I think give their honest and very fair takes on the situation. And some of them will be higher on Jokic than others. Some of them will be lower on Jokic than others. I think the right call is probably somewhere in the middle that Jokic still has some things to prove, but I think people should be confident in how deserving he is as a back-to-back MVP. We see it. We know. We know what he has to go through this year, and like the vast majority of Denver's issues, as everybody can really realize, and unless you're being disingenuous, the vast majority of people know that Denver's issues – We're kind of about everything else and not necessarily about Nikola. Now, there are things that he has to do that I think we can talk about in the second segment. But I do think that everybody should celebrate this, that don't let the the controversy and the talk on Twitter get you down. Like I fired off a few tweets and I'm not going to let anybody else's opinion bother me about mine. Like Jokic is a very deserving MVP. He was a very deserving MVP last year. And anybody saying otherwise or basing it off of playoff results is just like they're not listening to reality on this one. It's a regular season award, treated as such. And that award has defined that Nikola Jokic has dominated the last two years individually. Now it's up to Denver and it's up to Jokic to continue progressing better and to get that to a place where team success in the playoffs can be found. Let's talk about how he can do that when we come back. we're back. Big Axe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you can, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, Five Stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. That would be fantastic. All right, let's talk about Nicola. Let's talk about where he can still improve. And I think this is one of those topics where at some points it can be a little bit offensive to some, where, where they're like, well, how, why does he have to improve? He's the best player in the NBA. What more can he do? And, and I'm here to tell you that there are a lot of people that don't think so. There are a lot of people that see his weaknesses and see where he's kind of deficient at and think that he can continue to get better or, or maybe he can't continue to get better. And that's that's actually one of the prominent reasons why Nate Duncan, uh, who is the dunked on podcast host with Danny LaRue that it's one of the prominent reasons why his like his perimeter defense, his mobility, uh, his, his kind of being played off the floor as a defensive mark at the center position, that is one of the reasons why he can't improve in a lot of people's eyes and why they're always going to kind of hold it against him. It's not the offense. Nobody ever Nobody ever questions the offense anymore. It's kind of crazy that two straight years of averaging 27 – this year he averaged uh, what seven assists, something like that. Uh, last year he was at, or maybe he was at closer to like eight assists. I don't even remember. Like, see, I'm a numbers guy. I don't even really remember the numbers. People like it's just some of these things are important. Some of them are not. Like, the most important thing I think to remember is that there's not a ton of room left for him to improve statistically, and and that's probably because he's maxed out from an energy standpoint. He was in his age. 26 season this year. He's now 27. And this is his athletic prime. This is where he's considered at his athletic peak in all likelihood. And there's only so much he can do from an energy standpoint to kind of exerting energy in his physical peak. Only so much he can contribute defensively while he's doing this much offensively. So, when he averages, what, 27 points and eight assists as a center while averaging 14 rebounds as well, there's only so much more he can do. And and I really do think that we've probably seen the best offensive season from Nikola Jokic, or at least maybe over the course of these next few years. There are definitely ways for him to improve, especially later into his career where he gets even smarter and smarter and smarter and kind of picks his spots even better especially if he's paired with somebody that can take some of the burden off of him consistently. But as he continues to do more uh, on, on defense, hopefully, that that probably balances out the offensive perspective. So with Murray and Porter back, you can give him a little bit more rest on the offensive end. And does that mean he can be better defensively and, and kind of more impactful on the defensive end? I do think so. I think that that's one of the things that if you are his staunchest supporter, then you can look at that and say, look, Murray is going to take on additional possessions that Jokic was doing. Porter, same thing. As, as he continues to improve, as let's say Bones Highland continues to improve, he's actually a really good candidate because as he continues to get better, plays a little bit more next to Nikola Jokic, he's a guy that can handle the ball. And that means that Jokic doesn't always have to. So as you're, if you're Denver, I think the thing that you have to look at for Nicola, the thing you have to look at as a team is that your rim protection, your, your paint defense, the prevention of shots and easy shots at the rim was at one of its worst levels that we've seen in a while. Denver had taken steps forward in 2017-18, 2018-19, 2019-20, 2021 They've done some good things, but as Nicola has been asked to do more and more on the defense or on the offensive end, I think that his rim protection specifically has really struggled. Now, he's had some game-winning blocks, game-saving blocks here and there, and there's been a lot of times where he's really turned it up in the fourth quarter on a defensive level and has really kicked it into overdrive and preventing easy shots that he can really identify and... Some of the blocks that he's had, especially in clutch time, have been as a result of that, where he puts himself into a position where he can make those plays. But the consistent rim protection, the stuff where in the first, second, and third quarters, especially in playoff games and, and those levels of environments, he has to be able to sell out. He has to be able to protect the rim, both on ball, help side, doing more uh, with kind of the limitations that he has on his body. On Saturday, I asked about Brooke Lopez, somebody who for the Bucs has really helped elevate their defense from average this year to elite. And that was one of the things that kind of, I think, knocked Giannis, maybe unfairly, in the MVP race, that he, the, the Bucks defense went down to about 13th or 14th in defensive efficiency this year. But that was because Brooke Lopez was out, and they replaced him with Bobby Portis in the starting lineup, as well as, um, as well as uh, just moving Giannis to center more and more frequently. Now the Giannis at center lineups are good, but Brook Lopez and then adding Giannis on top of that was a really really big deal. So I talked about Brook Lopez and some of the stuff that he does as a defender, and thinking, okay. Maybe this is a good approximation for the style of play that Nikola Jokic can play going forward as a defender. Brook Lopez, one of the best drop defenders in the NBA. He does a great job of walling off the paint, walling off the rim, putting himself into position where very few people challenge him at the rim anymore because of what he can do as a rim protector. Now, Brook isn't a spring chicken, so he's not at his most athletic right now. But I think he's still more athletic and quick twitch as a leaper than Nikola Jokic is. And he's just a little bit longer. He's got like a 7'5 wingspan. He's a very tall frame, very long frame, like a 9'5 standing reach. So when he gets off the ground and he extends his arms, he's one of the most impactful rim protectors in the NBA because of his size. Now, Joker has a 7'3 wingspan he has a a 9.5 or a 9.3 standing reach. So a couple inches lower than what Brooke Lopez is working with, but he's also just slightly less athletic. So he is going to have to be even better, Nicola does, at using that length as well as he possibly can. And this is the area where I think Yoke can really improve the most is sometimes when he's tired, sometimes when he's uh, using too much energy on the offensive end. He gives up a lot of shots and he gives up a lot of shots at the rim where rather than being kind of that brick wall at the rim that defenders don't necessarily want to run into and try, he is a guy that they feel comfortable and challenging. And the only way that he's going to be able to stop that is if he dedicates more effort and more of his exertion to the defensive end. And that means being smart with his hands. That means being smart with his positioning. It means always moving his feet, never reaching in situations where he doesn't need to be reaching. He is a smart defender, and he, like that's one of his best skills. He's, he's top 10 in steals. And so you don't want him to just give that up. Uh, I think Denver can certainly mix in some different coverages where he's a little bit more aggressive on the perimeter than a guy like Brooke Lopez can be. And honestly, Denver has to mix some things up because they don't have Giannis and Drew Holiday also protecting on defense next to Brooke. Jokic has to be a little bit more mobile, and he has to be a little bit more perimeter-oriented, which means he's got to stay athletic and and be as, as quick as possible when chasing around guards and wings and have good footwork and be smart. There's only so much he's going to be able to do. But if he's going to be able to stay on the floor defensively, it is going to be because within these next couple of years, uh, at his athletic peak where he's currently at right now, where he takes it seriously and really tries to manifest just how good he can be on the defensive end, rather than just focusing on lifting people up offensively. That is his final step, at least on the defensive end. On the offensive end, there are things that he can improve. I'm not necessarily going to like berate him for his bad three-point shooting this year, but it was definitely a problem, especially in the second half of the season. He was clearly tired, clearly not necessarily locked in from the perimeter. A lot of the shots that he had to throw up this year were late in the shot clock, where, where he was trying to work the ball in closer to the rim find an open three-point shooter when he couldn't find it. There were some quick chucks at the rim. There were some Sombor shuffles. There were some really ugly shots. And obviously, you're not going to shoot a high percentage on those. But Jokic also missed some open ones too. It wasn't like he was perfect out there when he was wide open. So that's where he can be better on that end individually. But I think also one of the things that he's going to have to do is find more ways to be impactful off ball. And sometimes he comes around screens. Sometimes he he ducks in for post-ups and things like that. But what he does, and, and a lot of the off ball stuff that he does is just to find ways to get him the ball back, is to put him into positions where he can score. Denver has a lot of plays where he's off ball only to get the ball. Like that's, that's the main goal of the set. I think that as Murray and MPJ come back into the fold, Denver's offense has to have more on-ball options, guys who can create for themselves and for other people, which means that Jokic doesn't have to take all of those shots and create all of those possessions for everybody else. He can be a screener. He can be a spot-up shooter. He can be somebody who run some weak side actions as opposed to just being the fulcrum on the offense every single time because it gets exhausting. So um, that's that's my thing with him. I think that Denver has to lower his touches on the offensive end. I think they have to make him a more balanced offensive player than just somebody who runs everything for the team. And as you work your way back in with Murray and Porter and Aaron Gordon moving back to his normal four position, and uh, maybe you're working in somebody else as a starting shooting guard if it's not Will, there's going to be a lot to talk about. There's going to be a lot to do, and there's going to be a gravity towards just giving Jokic the ball. Denver can't fall victim to that. They have higher goals to get to. They have to work in everybody else. Jokic will find his place. That's I'm not worried about that. I also just don't want him to take 10 post-ups per game in the playoffs like he did this past playoff run because that's just – it's not going to help anybody else. When you get to the playoffs next year, maybe you can do that with Murray as a spot-up guy, as as Porter as a spot-up guy, those guys cutting and and off screens for each other and whatnot. But during the regular season, there should be no reason for Nikola Jokic to win a third MVP. He should be less volume. Less usage and hopefully more variant in his ways that he's used on the offensive end that allow him to be more creative and impactful on the defensive end. Finally, leadership. Uh, This is one thing that when you're thinking about all of the elite players in the NBA, all of the guys that get to the title, that find ways to win, you think of them as leaders. And what they did. During that process to really lead their teams to the promised land, Uh, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, all of those guys, especially lately, I think you can classify as really strong leaders. Now they're in different ways, and there's no right way of leadership. It really just kind of calls for the moment and what you're looking for. But I do think that Jokic kind of has to find his voice. He has to figure out a way to hold players accountable throughout the year make sure that everybody is going in the same direction it can't just be michael malone it can't just be jamal murray like i think that's one of the things that if you're if you're looking at the the fire from the team and how it kind of smoldered and died this year i think a lot of that was because jamal murray wasn't getting the team up he wasn't uh, giving them that belief and that ang- – not anger, but that attitude that they could do it and watch Watch us. We can prove that. That's not necessarily Jokic's personality. He has some defiance in other, ca- in other ways and that's not necessarily a criticism either. But often the leader has to be the best player. The guy holding everybody accountable, keeping everybody together and making sure the team is doing the right stuff, executing the offense working hard on defense, pushing the team to make new strides in new areas, being creative and being thoughtful. This Nuggets team has to be smart. They aren't going to just out-talent other teams. They have to be smarter. And that means Jokic has to be very vocal in how the team can get smarter, where they must improve, and showing the other players on the team Just where they need to improve and where they need to be in order to maximize where the team goes. Now, he might be doing this behind the scenes more than where I'm giving him credit for. I'm not necessarily in the building every day, so I'm not here to say and kind of demean what he's actually doing already. But what I will say is that the Nuggets, they need a year where things go right, they need a year where Nikola Jokic kind of sets the tone, says we are going to be a title contender, and then they work towards that goal every single day. Not about individual accomplishments anymore. It's not about finding a way to get Jokic's first MVP or his back-to-back MVP. Jokic will say this himself, obviously, that basketball is a team game, and this is why I believe in him, is that I think that he has the right stuff to pivot away from what won him the MVPs and can instead really help focus in on elevating the rest of the group so that they can play with him in these upcoming playoffs next season. When we come back, we're going to discuss Nikola Jokic within the pantheon of NBA history. We'll be right back. final segment. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let us wrap up everything by discussing the Pantheon, by discussing where Nikola Jokic sort of fits in NBA history right now. And it's it's obviously early for this. The hope is that he has, actually, I think I can I can pretty much articulate this, that he's probably got another six years remaining on his career. And maybe he has more, maybe he has slightly less, but he said and and Tim Connolly relayed this in his presser that he wants to play basketball until it is no longer fun to play until he's no longer enjoying it and so the nuggets they're going to try to help him enjoy it as much as possible and they're going to try to put themselves into a position where he's always enjoying himself and maybe that comes with winning maybe that comes with the journey. Maybe that comes with bringing in new people, new and fun and engaging and alluring personalities, and just coming up with new ways to make basketball interesting. Because I think what we saw in these playoffs between Nikola Jokic and Draymond Green, I thought that Adam Maris really articulated this beautifully, is that those guys are innovating while they're out there on the courts. And that had to be a really fun, really interesting experience for Nikola Jokic. And whether that was what his his end goal is, I can't imagine that's what his end goal is, that he wants to win a title. And, And he might continue to try to innovate while he's on his way to a title. And maybe that sustains him for a long period of time. Maybe he's okay with that. Maybe he's okay with not winning a title. But I think what we can really start with here in terms of where he kind of, not ranks, but just is is part of NBA history, is that there have only been 13 players in the entire NBA history that have won back-to-back MVPs. It's going chronologically, Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Moses Malone, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Tim Duncan, Steve Nash, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic. And just going through that list, it's, it's some of the best names in the world. I think all of those names outside of probably Steve Nash and Nikola Jokic are what you would consider maybe top 15 players of all time, top 20 if you're being a little bit generous. Uh, those are some of the greatest names, some of the greatest players and talents that we've seen and it puts Nikola Jokic among a player that among players that have dominated their eras throughout history. Who are the defining players in those eras? Well, it's pretty much that list. Lots of folks want to make the Nick Wright arguments that Joker will just be Steve Nash that Nash never really won anything, he never went to an NBA finals. Uh, he was just a a guy that couldn't really get past Kobe at his peak. And a guy that never really could get past the Spurs when when he was with both the Mavericks and the and the Suns. And then that's just kind of where his career kind of tapped out. And whether that's fair or not, it's like you're you're running into a situation where he's going up against Dirk and Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant. And those were kind of the the era defining players during that generation. So is it fair to uh to say that Jokic is Era defining because he won back-to-back MVPs now? I I don't think so. I think he I don't think I would define Jokic as an era-defining player yet. But we still probably need some distance in order to figure that out. Just kinda like we needed some distance to figure out whether Nash was, and and Giannis will be, and it. it looks like Giannis will be. But Steph I think defines an era. LeBron certainly does. Tim Duncan, I think, maybe not in the same way, but but I think he does too. Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, everybody like that. Like, of course, you would you would consider those guys to be the best of the best, the creme de la creme. Era-defining, I think, is synonymous with Pantheon in my mind. It's a step even higher than the top 75 players in the last 75 years. And it sort of just embellishes the fact that Jokic not making that list looks like an even bigger joke now than when it did last summer, last uh, September, whenever. Because like that's just – it was insane then and it's insane now to me. But here's the thing. I think I'm going to do this by decades. Let me just run through it by decades and and talk through my thinking here on on where Nikola Jokic sort of is mapped out in this process. In the 1960s, who do you think of? Who do you think of when you define 1960s basketball? Well, you think of Bill Russell. You think of Wilt Chamberlain, the battles that they had. Those are the the two guys that I think stand out above the rest. Same thing with the 70s. You think of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I kind of had to struggle with this one because it it was a little bit difficult. difficult, But I think Dr. J, despite the fact that he kind of overlapped with the 80s with some ABA time, like I think Dr. J, if you're going to think about who were the superstars during that time, Dr. J was the guy everybody wanted to be. 1980s, it was magic and it was bird. Those were the two. 1990s, it was MJ. I think you could throw maybe Hakeem Olajuwon into that list, but honestly, like if you wanted to just have MJ on there and and leave off Hakeem, I would understand. 2000s, I think you're thinking Shaq, you're thinking Kobe, you're thinking Tim Duncan. You're not really thinking Dirk, not, not to the level that I think some might believe, but let me get back to that. And When you're in the 2010s, this past decade, I think it's LeBron, it's Kevin Durant, and it's Steph Curry. It's those three, especially LeBron and Steph, that I think you can really say, hey, those guys were the defining players of what happened during the 2010s. Now, who will define the 2020s? What will the NBA think about during that time? Like, Who are the players that are going to lead this era into the promised land? the Giannis, a foregone conclusion. He's just won a title. He's maybe on his way to another one. We'll see. He's already won a Defensive Player of the Year trophy. He's won two MVPs. He is still going. He is just a, a dominant force. That is not changing for the foreseeable future. Luka Doncic seems like a shoe in for the future. What he's already doing, like he might put the Mavericks on his back and take them over the top against the Phoenix Suns, in some crazy ways. Uh, They are tied 2-2 in that series. And if they win that series, then my God, there's going to be a lot of discussion there. What about Embiid? What about Jason Tatum? What about John Morant? I think you could give credence to all of those guys that it's not really defined or set in stone quite yet about who defines the era. But I think Jokic... Certainly with Giannis, I think are the, the two most likely players to define the era right now. Now, Joker, I think a lot of people don't necessarily want to crown him yet. And that's fine. Like, this is why the era is like, it's, it's 2022. Who defines and who, who kind of is defined by the 2020s? It's going to change between now and eight years from now. Of course, nobody's going to, like, that's, that's not a crazy take. But I do think that Joker has very little left to prove on the stats-wise. That's just not an issue. Like Nobody's ever going to look at his numbers and be like, oh yeah, he needed to do more to be at that level. He's already breaking records and, and, and crossing into box plus minus and win share thresholds that very few players have, have really reached before. But it's not the stats, and especially not the advanced stats that people care about. It's the winning. It's the vibe. It's, it's how they felt during that time when he was dominating. And I just think that until Denver gets to a finals, until they maybe even win a title, that most people are not going to take Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets as seriously as maybe they should. Or maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they're well within their right to be patient on that front. Because I think that Denver, they still have some problems. They still have to solve the problems in front of them in the playoffs. They still have to build and maintain the best, the best supporting cast that they possibly can. The question, the debate question, is Nikola Jokic a winner? Is a question that everyone is going to be asking soon. Whether that's fair or unfair, I think you're already getting that from Nick Wright and Co. over at Fox uh, Fox Sports, but. I think that it's it's going to be a fair question at some point if there's a flame out again and then a flame out again, and then you're thinking, okay, well, this guy's really, really good, but is he great? And so maybe Denver's destiny and Jokic's destiny is for him to be kind of that second tier superstar within his generation. I'm just picking names out of a hat here. Elgin Baylor, Rick Barry, Moses Malone, Charles Barkley- Dirk Nowitzki, James Harden. Those are kind of from each of those decades that I picked—the 60s, 70s, 80s, etc. Each of those decades where I think you have a player that's kind of representative of not the top tier, not the pantheon, but maybe that next tier down. That maybe they're not the, the maybe they're the 15th best player of all time, or maybe they're the 30th best player of all time, but they're certainly not top 10 or close to it. So if you're Jokic. He doesn't necessarily care about this stuff. I think Nuggets fans obviously care about it much more. But like, if you are the guy that represents a decade of basketball, then that often means that you won. That often means that you really made it undeniable that you were one of the best of the best. And I think that because there are so many people that still deny, there are so many people that still, given the the playoff success, there are so many people that still – have that card to play in their pocket, whether it's fair or not. Now, is it okay for Nuggets fans? Is this an okay outcome? If, if Nikola Jokic was the Dirk Nowitzki of this, de- of this generation and not the Tim Duncan, would people be okay? Is that fair? Is that fine? I think it's pretty fair in terms of the talent. And as long as Nikola Jokic sticks around, it doesn't move around. I think a lot of fans would still be fine with that. They'd still love that. Maybe Denver gets one title, and they feel really good in that situation. Would Nuggets fans be okay? Probably. Dirk was beloved, same as Elgin Baylor. The other guys on that list, Rick Barry, Moses Malone, Charles Barkley, James Harden, not necessarily beloved, not necessarily universally loved by those fan bases, and it's because they kind of moved around. So... There is at least a question here and Jokic still has some stuff to prove, but I believe in him. I believe in Nikola Jokic. I believe in his mentality. I believe in his skill level. I believe in his competitiveness. He knows that the work isn't finished. He knows that he's nowhere close and that he can be better. And that's one of the great things about him is that he looks inward in these situations rather than outward when thinking about the failures. And that is why I genuinely believe that he's going to reach those Pantheon Heights. And it's more about everybody coming together, Jokic being better, the Nuggets organization being better, the Nuggets players being better, and putting themselves into a situation where those final traits can connect together and show just how talented he is. It's not all about him. It's always going to be more about the team as it should be about the team. But he is going to be synonymous with Denver Nuggets basketball for the 21st century. That is like, I think that's going to be a fair thing with him. that He is just that dude. And if Nuggets fans want it to be a good thing, if they want him to be the face of a great era of Nuggets basketball then it has to come with wins. That is the only way to it. We'll see if they can get there. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure to check out Mile High Sports. Make sure to check out Denver Stiffs doing great things at both websites. And I just want to make sure that everybody gets the the credit and the airtime that they deserve on this. Uh, Because I, I very, very much cherish both places. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support as always. Tomorrow's podcast is going to be on the center rotation, the big man rotation, which get to talk about Nicole Jokic some more. Thank you so much, everybody. Talk to you guys tomorrow.